0: Hey, good morning, everybody. So good to uh, see you. Welcome, everybody, here in, in Waukesha, in Pewaukee, and online. Uh, good to have you uh, with us, uh, whatever your location might be. If you're someplace uh, warm uh, right now, we're we're, we're jealous of, of you, but uh, good to have you with us uh, for church. Uh, we're continuing the series called Rally Cry. Lots of people uh, tonight are going to be rallying for the Rams, rallying for the uh, Bengals, uh, you guys excited about the big game tonight, the Super Bowl? Three of us, okay. Yeah, hey, I'm I'm curious. Uh, how many uh, How many want the Bengals to win? Uh, hand, oh yeah, okay, quite a few. How many want the Rams? Yeah, okay. How many don't care? <laughs> don't care wins. All right. Well, we're. Talking about things that we care about in this uh, series. It's called uh, Rally Cry, and it's about areas of our lives that have taken a hit uh, the last couple years because of the uh, pandemic. And uh, last weekend, Sue kicked it off, gave a great message about how much we need each other uh, because God created us for connection. If you missed that message, be sure to go back to our website and uh, watch that. And this weekend, I want us to rally around the relationship of marriage. And I know many of us are not uh, married, maybe you're single and hope to be married, maybe you're single and you're uh, content, and it might be tempting to tune out today, but I I hope that you don't because uh, really the scriptures and the principles that we're going to talk about uh, today, mainly I'm going to apply them to marriage, but they really apply to all Uh, relationships, and so I hope that you'll just open your heart, open your mind to God's word and what God has to say uh, to you today. So here's today's uh, rally cry. Check this out. You can enjoy marriage for a lifetime. That's God's design uh, for marriage, but doesn't always work out that way, uh, does it? I came across this story from a few years ago that went uh, viral uh, true story. Maybe some of you heard about this. A 71-year-old man named Lawrence Ripple went into a bank in Kansas City, and he robbed the bank. But that's not why the story went viral. He handed a note to the teller, and the note said, I've got a gun. Give me your money. The teller gave him almost $3,000. And then he went into the bank, uh, lobby of the bank with the money, and uh, he sat down, and he waited for the police to arrive and arrest him. police arrived. They arrested him, and they asked him, why would you rob a bank and then sit in the lobby and wait to be arrested? And here's what he said, okay? Quote, I'd rather go to jail than live at home with my wife. That was his exit strategy. I'd rather just go to jail. When he stood before the judge, he faced 37 months in prison, and he was hoping for the maximum sentence. And uh, I love this part, okay? The judge sentenced him to six months house arrest. <laughs> that's true. That's true. You read the uh, comments to the story, you uh, realize there's a lot of sympathy uh, for him, actually. And uh, many people view marriage as a prison Uh, you you realize many people have a different view of marriage than God intended. Now, it never starts out that way. You know, at every wedding, you know, the uh, bride and groom have the highest level of excitement and optimism. I've heard it said that saying uh, yes at the uh, wedding is easy, saying yes for the rest of your life, that is very uh, hard. Here's what I mean by that. After you say yes at the wedding, let's say you buy a fixer-upper and you spend your weekends tiling and and uh, painting and date night becomes a quick run for fast food. And then you add in some kids, you have some kids, and he goes away hunting for a weekend, and you no longer get the house all to yourself, quiet weekend. No, no, no. You get up at 2 a.m. to change poopy diapers and crib sheets, all while he was Hunting and add to that fights that you have over money and spending, conflict over disciplining the the kids, uh, difficulties with the in-laws, different perspectives on sex, communication uh, breakdowns, work frustrations and different definitions of what the word clean actually means. And it's no wonder that 20% of all marriages end within five years. Think about that. Five years or less earlier, they said, yes, I do. Five years or less later on, no, I don't. Because it's easy to say yes on your wedding day. Saying yes for the rest of your life is a hard thing uh, to do. Solomon would agree with that. Solomon's one of the wisest men who ever lived. He wrote the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament of the Bible. And he gave some advice to his son about uh, marriage. Check this out. Here's what Solomon uh, said to his son. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Uh, Now, he's speaking to his son, so he says rejoice in the wife of your youth. If he was speaking to his daughter, he might say rejoice in the husband of your youth. And so let me ask you, are you rejoicing in your spouse? You know, to me, this word rejoice, this is a strong word right here because he does not just say, you know, uh, just put up with the husband of your youth or just just tolerate uh, the wife of your youth. No, no, no. He says you should rejoice. Here's what the word rejoice means. It means that you find joy in them. You focus more on the positives. Then the negatives, you give uh, grace, you, you give the benefit of the doubt uh, to them. You regularly remember uh, why you, you fell in love with them and married them in the first place. But Solomon knows, you know, this is not easy. This is not automatic uh, for us. And so look at what he says in the next verse. He says, may you always be captivated by her love. And then Solomon asks his son this question, why be captivated, my son, with an immoral woman or embrace the breast of an adulterous woman? Solomon reminds his son that he can't have his eyes filled up with his wife if they're already filled with someone else. And so he says a very simple prayer for his son. May you always be captivated by her love. And that's my prayer today uh, for you as well. May you always be captivated by his love. May you always be captivated by her love and enjoy marriage for a lifetime. But what if you're not? You know, many times couples uh, get to a point where they say, you know, I'm not captivated. I'm no longer captivated by his love or uh, her love. I heard somebody say that giving up on your uh, marriage uh, because you just don't feel love in your heart, look at this, it's kind of like giving up on a car Because it ran out of gas. Yeah, you can do something about that. You know, it might take work, it might involve some inconvenience, but you can fill that tank back up. Here's the question I want to ask today How can your marriage grow and thrive? Uh, No matter if things are going great or if things are a struggle, how can your marriage grow and thrive and bring joy for a lifetime? Today, I want to show you four commitments that I hope you'll say yes to that will help you enjoy marriage for a lifetime. And if you're single, I want you to think about another relationship that's important to you or maybe it's a struggle uh, for you, maybe a relationship with a parent or a sibling or a friend and apply these commitments. Here's the first commitment. Commit to appreciate the positives and overlook the negatives. Commit to appreciate the positives and and try your best To to overlook at least some of the negatives. I mean, it is so easy to find fault and get frustrated and irritated in any relationship, especially marriage. I think uh, comedian Jeff Foxworthy illustrates this pretty well. Take a look. Fact of life. Women always have more questions than men have answers to. Great example of this. Six, seven months ago, I get a text one day. The text says, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. I walk into the kitchen, where my wife is. I said, "Hey, I just got a text. Said please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck." She said, "Was he driving?" I said, "I don't know. I just got a text. Said please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck." "Were Carol and the kids in the car with him?" I don't know. I just got a text. Said please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. "Were the people in the other car hurt?" I don't know. I just got a text. Said please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. "What hospital did they take him to?" I don't know. I just got a text. Said please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. She said, "Well, you don't know anything. What do you know?" I know you need to pray for Tom. I just got a text. Said he was in a bad wreck. Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, there's just so many differences between people. So many differences in uh, couples. You can always find something about your spouse that will irritate you. You know, if I were to ask some of you, you know, what's something about your spouse that, uh, (coughs) excuse me, disappoints you, you know, give give me five things. 30 seconds, you could name five things. And I don't like the way that he eats uh, soup. I I don't like the way that he spends uh, money. I don't like the way she parents the kids and he doesn't put things uh, away. You'd have a list of five things just like that. But if I were to ask you, what are five things that you love about your spouse, five things that are strengths of your spouse, You might fumble a little bit and need more time to come up with that list. You can always find faults in your spouse. But take a look at what uh, Paul says uh, in in Ephesians chapter 4 about how to deal with frustrations and faults in marriage and relationships. He says, Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults. And here's the key right here because of your love. Paul says, Make allowances for for the faults and weaknesses of your spouse. Now I want to be clear about what this is not saying. Okay? I I don't think this applies to abusive kinds of situations, you know, physical abuse, uh, verbal uh, abuse. It's not saying, you know, if you if if, if you have a, bu- a bu- abusive relationship, just 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 tolerate it, okay? That's just how it is. Make allowances for abuse, make allowances for physical uh, abuse. No. Sometimes the lo- most loving thing to do is to set up a boundary. Sometimes the most loving thing to do for yourself and for the other person is to say, you know, when you treat me that way and you're not getting any help for it, I'm gonna set up a boundary and part of that boundary might involve some time apart for a period of time. But abusive kinds of situations aside, Paul is saying here in marriage and in in relationships, Make allowances and overlook the faults of the other person. Have you discovered, have you ever uh, re- realized how difficult that actually is uh, to do? I mean, I mean, when she uh, forgets an appointment, you know, she's a space cadet. Uh, but, you know, when I do it, I, I just have a lot on my mind right now. Or when he leaves his clothes, you know, laying on the floor, he's a slob. But when, you know, you do it, you're just in a hurry. You know, right now, it is very difficult to do, but we need to overlook the faults of of the other person. You say, why? Why why should I overlook her faults? Why should I overlook his faults? It's because of this phrase right here, because of your love. If you want a great relationship, you put the relationship ahead of their faults. You put the relationship ahead of pointing out every mistake that they make. You put love ahead of your irritations. John Graham's done a lot of research on you know, marriages and, and why marriages end. And he's found that oftentimes when a marriage ends, one or both people have a sense of bitterness or what he calls contempt. He's discovered this four-stage Pattern. Check this out. Stage one begins with disappointment. You have something in your marriage and, you know, you go, I'm just disappointed with this. They weren't this way when we were dated. You know, I, I, don't, I, I, I don't like how they do this. I don't like how they do that. It's disappointment. And if it's not addressed, it can lead into stage two, which is frustration. And when you're in the frustration stage, you, you, you're going, you know, you, you always... You never you hear those words thrown around in your house and you know we're in stage 2 and if that's not addressed it can go into stage 3 which is bitterness and when you're in the bitterness stage you're going what's wrong with you why did i even marry you in the first place and if that's not dealt with it can go to stage 4 which is contempt here's how gottman defines contempt it's an attitude of superiority that When you start to look down on your spouse, when you start to call them names, when you start to point out every fault and every mistake, when you actually find, start to find joy when something bad happens to them, you have contempt. And that's the opposite of, the love, of love. And that's why couples in this stage, I mean, they'll say things like, you know, we don't love each other. We fell out of love, and I'll say, you know, you just got married five years ago. Clearly, you loved each other. What happened? Usually, they don't know. They'll they'll just say, "I, I, we just fell love. We just fell out of love. I don't, I don't know." Here, here's how you got there. One disappointment at a time. One disappointment that didn't get addressed. And talk through There's really two ways you can deal with disappointment. One way to deal with disappointment is to sit down and talk about it and work through it. A second way to deal with disappointment is to make a conscious decision and you say, you know what, I'm going to choose to overlook it. You know, I don't like it, kind of irritates me, kind of frustrates me. But because of our love, I'm going to make a choice to overlook it. What if every single one of us here today sat down with God this week? And we prayed and we talked to God about, about the strengths of our spouse and what we love about our spouse. And then, and then we went to our spouse and shared that list with them. That would be a great thing to do. Maybe you could do that tomorrow uh, with each other on Valentine's uh, Day. And say, I'm going to make a conscious effort to focus less on the negative negative." And to focus more on appreciating the positives. Say yes to appreciating, appreciating the positives and overlooking uh, the negatives. Here's a second way to enjoy marriage for a lifetime. Commit to working as hard in the middle and in the end as you did in the beginning, uh, because it is so easy to grow complacent in in marriage. Here's what happens to a lot of couples. You know, they meet each other and they start dating and they really work hard on the relationship. They spend a lot of time with each other. They, you know, they go out for dinner. They watch movies together. They go for walks. They go for hikes. They ask each other questions. They hold hands. You know, they start saying uh, cute phrases, cute names for each other. You know, you're my little honey bunny, bunches of oats kind of thing. And then they get married and what happens? All of a sudden, the conversations start revolving around money. You spent what? I was just looking at the bank account. Conversations start revolving around scheduling, calendaring, what appliance needs fixing next. And 10 years in, a couple step back, and they go, wow, what happened? The flames went out. I'll tell you what happened. You stopped spending time together and sharing activities together that you enjoyed together and actually helped you to build that relationship in the first place. You stopped doing what you once did. And so if you want what you once had, go back and do what you once uh, did. There's actually a great verse about this where Jesus makes this point to a church that had grown complacent. In the book of Revelation, look at what Jesus says. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me. And do the works that you did at first. That's true in a relationship with Jesus. It's true in all our relationships. If you want what you once had, do what you once did. Work as hard in the middle and in the end as you did in the beginning. So let me ask you, when was the last time that you just had a, a, a date night together, alone, without kids? And I know, you know, I know that's hard, especially if you have little kids. So maybe date night is after the kids go to bed. Or maybe you get a, a, a babysitter to watch your kids. Did you know that it's actually good for kids to see mom and dad go on a date night? Did you know this? You know, for kids to see that mom and dad love each other so much that they want to spend time together alone, it gives kids a deep sense of security. It's good for kids, and it's good for your relationship. Uh, Marnie and I uh, went on a date night last week. And we did something that we had not done in a long uh, time. We went into this restaurant, and uh, one side was booth, and the other side of the table was chairs and we both wanted to booth. so we just we sat next to each other on on the same side together, just like we were in in college uh, together and uh, we had a great time uh, we had a, we, we had a fun time that evening. What if you went on a date night this week what if you what if you held hands? What if you asked each other questions? What if you uh, plan a weekend away with uh, one another. What if you say, uh, you know, use those cute phrases for each other. You know, you're my little uh, honey bunny uh, bunches of oats. But don't say that in front of the kids or, or me, okay? We don't want to hear that <laughs> stuff, all right? But, you know, help you remember why you love each other and, uh, and got married. And and built a a family. Marnie and I did something different for Christmas this year. Uh, Our gift to each other was a weekend away uh, together. And so last month we got away uh, for a weekend uh, together. And it was so good for our relationship to just slow down and focus on one another every time we get away for a weekend. Or, you know, go on a date night and spend time together. It reminds me why why I love her and married her and want to spend the rest of my life. Together with her? What if you commit to running just as hard in the middle and in the end as you did in the beginning? Here's a third commitment to enjoy marriage for a lifetime commit to a Christ centered marriage. In uh, Matthew chapter seven, Jesus talks about different foundations that people build on in this life. And uh, take a look at what he uh, says here he says, Anyone who listens to my teaching, And obeys me is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain uh, comes, some translations say when the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on a rock, on a solid foundation. Notice notice Jesus says when those storms come, not if those storms are going to come. You're going to go through uh, seasons of life that are hard. That are, that are stressful, and it's going to have an impact on your marriage. I mean, when, you're, when you have kids that are little, ah, that's, going to, that's going to put some stress on your marriage. If you have a child who's got a behavioral issue or a health issue, that, that's going to put some stress on your marriage. When the kids grow up and, and move out and you, and you adjust to an empty nest, that's going to put some stress on your marriage. You're going to go through some storms, but Jesus says the marriages that will stand and thrive are the ones that are built on rock, on a solid foundation. Let me try and illustrate it uh, this way. This is called the marriage uh, triangle. And notice at the base of the triangle, at the corners, are two people. have got the husband over here, the wife over here. And notice the gaps, too wide for, for the couple to bridge on their um, own. But if you put Jesus at the top, as the husband moves toward Jesus, as the wife moves toward Jesus, the, the couple... Moves closer together. It's a simple illustration, but it illustrates how Jesus is the best foundation for marriage because when you make Jesus number one in your marriage and your spouse number two, Jesus, he fills you up. He fills your heart, and, and you're able to give more to your spouse more love, more joy, more peace. You have more emotional reserves more spiritual insight the secret i'm telling you to do a great marriage is you put jesus in the center of it if you're single and you want to get married someday and you want to have a great marriage you make sure you find someone who's going to put jesus right in the middle of it Br- brad wilcox is a uh, leading sociologist at the university of virginia and he studied couples and he found that those who regularly attend a Bible-teaching uh, church, not, not just any church, a church that believes and, and teaches the Bible, those couples, 35% less likely to get a divorce than those who don't. Some research says that as few as one in 10,000 marriages <clears throat> ends in divorce, where the couples are regularly praying out loud together, the best marriage advice is to put Jesus first and to put your spouse second. So if you're struggling right now or, you know, even if things are going great and and you just want to keep your foundation strong, put Jesus first. Attend church. Read scripture. Pray for your marriage. Sign up for marriage mentoring. Do you know that we have a ministry in our church called Marriage Mentoring? We've got these experienced couples who will mentor you. You can go to our website, you can go to our connect wall in the lobby and and find out more about how marriage mentoring can help strengthen your foundation as a couple. What if you sat down together this week and you asked this question, do we have a Christ-centered marriage? How can we make our marriage more Christ-centered? How can we build our marriage on solid rock? Uh, One more commitment to enjoy marriage for a lifetime. Commit to a covenant-keeping marriage. Big difference between a covenant relationship and a consumer relationship. For example, you've got a consumer relationship with Target. You know, you go to Target and they don't have the products that you want. You can just go down the street to, to Walmart. You have a consumer relationship with McDonald's. You know, if you don't like their hamburgers, you can just go down the street to Culver's or Wendy's. But a covenant relationship has a much higher level of commitment and connection. Covenant relationship is like the relationship between a parent and child. Think about how when your child comes into this world, uh, you don't really get to choose, you know, what they look like, their hair color, their personality, right? You not you, you can't trade your child for one that doesn't cry as loud. But you love your child because it's a covenant relationship. And God designed marriage As the covenant relationship with the highest commitment and connection and joy. Now, I I know, I want you to know, I'm aware that many people have gone through uh, divorce, and, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, you you, you tried your best. You you did not want the marriage to end uh, that way. You did everything that you uh, could, but You can't control what another person does or a decision that they make. And and I want you to know you're not defined uh, by that, by what uh, you did or what has happened uh, to you. You're defined by what Jesus has done for you. And Jesus loves you. And uh, he um, embraces you. And we want to help you. We want to come alongside you. If you've gone through a painful breakup... We, we, we love you. We want to do as much as we possibly can to help you. But, but I want to talk just for a moment to married couples that, that maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're thinking of, you know, calling it quits and walking away. I want you to know that if you could push through, if you could commit to keeping the covenant vows in, in sickness and in, in health, if you'll say, you know what, it's we together, we're in this together. You you can have a richness and a history and a joy uh, with that other person that you can't get anywhere else. I was reading in a in a book. Uh, it's called it's called the the antelope in a living room uh, by author Melanie uh, Shankel, and she tells a story of how uh, she and her husband uh, Perry had been married for five years when they decided to uh, have start having. Uh, children, And I'm going to let her pick it up from there. She writes this. She says, we were in our early 30s, and it seemed like the right time to start a family. At least that's what our parents kept telling us. She says, I got pregnant, and then I had a miscarriage. Perry and I were heartbroken. Um, but she writes, I, I, I think these things affect women differently. Well, we both experienced a loss. It was something that happened inside my body. Between the hormones and the sadness, something shifted in me. Depression settled in, and I spent a lot of time wondering how soon I could go back to bed. She writes, I can almost draw a line between before miscarriage and after miscarriage. We had 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 financial struggles and other problems in our first five years of marriage. But this was the first thing that we couldn't decide just to buck up and be positive about. The morning of my DNC, Perry, my husband, drove me to the hospital and was right there holding my hand before I went in. He was right there when I woke up, and because he knows my love language, on the way home, he drove me through Shipley's to get a chocolate donut. She says, maybe it was the anesthesia, but I kept reaching for his hand and saying, I really love you, but I was speaking the absolute truth. I had never loved him more. Because up until that point, I didn't know that I had ever been so aware of how much he loved me. It was was the moment that I realized that he didn't just love me when I was fun or pretty or cooking spaghetti and meatballs. He loved me when I was hurting and depressed and wearing the same pajamas four days in a row. It sounds weird to say after five years of marriage, but it was the first time I realized that he was going to stick with me for better, were worse. We were in this thing even when it got ugly and smelled bad and by it I mean me. You know, I read that and I thought to myself, I think that's what every person wants, every person on this planet to know that they're 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 loved no matter what, that even when they don't uh, look their best, even when they don't act their best, even when they're going through a hard time, there's another person who says, I love you unconditionally. I'm with you no matter what. That's covenant, that's God's design for marriage. It's not a contract. It's not, you know, you know as long as you, you know, look good or as long as you act your, your best, then I'm all in. No, that's covenant that says, even when you don't look the best, even when you're not at your best, even when things get ugly, I'm gonna be there. What if you said yes to that? What if you said yes to us? Yes to pushing through. Yes to I'm not giving up. Yes to I'm in this with you. No matter what, even when things get ugly, I choose you. I say yes to you and enjoying marriage for a lifetime. Let me pray for us. God, I just pray for everyone who's uh, with us uh, today. I pray for those who are uh, single and have important relationships in their life, that those relationships would be a source of of joy. And God, that you would fill them up with love so that they can overflow to others. And I pray for those who are hurting in some way today, maybe from the pain of of a breakup or divorce. God, would you comfort them and encourage them I pray that you would heal them. And for those who are married, I I know it's not always easy, but would you help them find joy in their spouse, to be thankful for their strengths? And would you remind us why we love them and want to spend the rest of our lives together? God, we commit to put you in the middle, in the center. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.